39, Jesus was a master teacher who used props and illustrations. In fact, one time he actually picked up a child during a sermon and used a little boy or girl to teach a lesson on salvation. And so as he held this child in his arms, he said, if you want to go to heaven, you need to put your faith and trust in me alone, and you need to do it with childlike faith. Our theme for 2019 is Magnify Christ. We began the year with a microscope and a telescope on the platform. Here you see the telescope over here to remind us of that. If you remember, I asked you this question. Which one best illustrates our Christian life? A microscope or a telescope? Both are instruments of magnification. Now, what does a microscope do? Well, it takes something small, very tiny, and it makes it look big. And in the last three decades, our modern microscopes allow us to see amazing things that nobody has been able to see in the history of the world. But what does the telescope do? Well, it makes big things that are very far away look as big as they really are. Galileo was the first to point the telescope to the stars in 1609. Here is a painting of him presenting this telescope to the, the Senate there in Venice, Italy. Galileo was the first man to see mountains on the moon. Galileo was the first man to see the rings around Saturn. Galileo was the first man to be able to see four of Jupiter's moons. And in response to that, this is what he said. It is in your notes. I give infinite thanks to God who has been pleased to make me the first observer of marvelous things. He also said, God is known by nature in his works and by doctrine in his revealed word. How very true. Our Christian life can easily be summed up this way. We believe, we think, we feel, we act in a way that makes God, who is far away to many people, we make him look as great and as powerful and as awesome as he really is. And so we are to be a telescope for the unbelievers so they can see how good and how great God is in our life. And this is what it means for Christians to magnify Christ. But you cannot magnify what you have not seen. You cannot magnify what you so quickly forget. Tonight we'll give you an opportunity to share a testimony of how you were able, with God's help, to magnify Christ in 2019. Would you please stand with me now as I read how David magnified God in Psalm 139, we'll just pick it up in the middle of the psalm and catch some other verses a little bit later. Psalm 139, verse 14. A psalm of David. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret 
and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, that is, my mother's womb. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, that is, unformed, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Please be seated. In eternity past, God existed in complete holiness, absolute joy, peace, and unity. In the beginning, there was God and only God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons of the Trinity existed in complete harmony in eternity past. Jonathan Edwards, the greatest thinker of colonial days, wrote, The Trinity is the highest and deepest of all divine mysteries. I am far from pretending to explain the Trinity so as to render it no longer a mystery. And then, and then, out of eternity past, we read this amazing statement about how we all got here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Did you know that God created something before he created the heaven and the earth? Yes, before God created the material world, he created millions of creatures he calls angels. There are different ranks of angels. They were created for two purposes. They were created for the purpose of giving glory to God, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. The second purpose, they were created to be ministers of God's care for mankind, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. So when were angels created? They were created before the world was created. God said to Job, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, Job 38, verse 7. Because you have angels singing and shouting at the creation of the earth, we know they were already in existence. God gave the angels a free will. One third of them fell before the temptation of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Perhaps, perhaps Lucifer became jealous of God's new creation. After all, a man and a woman were created in the image of God, yet a little lower than the angels, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7. And so I would like to take a moment and focus our attention on the, the vastness of the universe that our God made. The numbers 
boggle our minds. Astronomers estimate that there are at least 100 billion galaxies in the universe. And on average, there are 100 billion stars per galaxy. That means there are 1 billion trillion stars that God created in Genesis chapter 1. And we live in a little section of the universe that we have named the Milky Way. If you counted all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy at a rate of one star per second, it would take 3,000 years to count them all. And that's just a fraction of what God made in Genesis 1. So David writes, the heavens, the starry heavens, declare the glory of God. Psalm 24, verse 1. And so let's just take a moment to praise God for who he is. Let's take a moment to praise God for making this incredible, vast universe. Let's take a moment and praise God that he created each one of us. It would be most appropriate for you to join me in praying something like this. And, and for today, why don't you just keep your eyes open if you want to look at the stars as we pray to our Father. Dear God, you are so awesome. My puny little mind cannot comprehend how big, how great, how infinite, how incredible you are. We pray with David, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and stars, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Yes, Lord, we pause. We pause this morning in awe of who you are, in awe of what you have done. Now I pray you will quiet our hearts and give us a fresh vision of how we can magnify you in the gift of a new year, 2020. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, you don't have to believe the truth of how we got here. God gave you a free will. So you could choose to love him or not. So you can believe because you want to, not because you have to. Or you can choose and believe a lie. The latest and most popular lie about how we got here is called the Big Bang. The revised version that scientists give of the lie of the Big Bang is, and I'm now quoting them, the best evidence says the universe suddenly expanded from the size of a marble to the size of the universe in a trillionth of a second. Like, like, poof, poof. That's some big bang. That's some kind of random accident. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I know that is mathematically impossible. 
Today, scientists say that the universe is 93 billion light years wide. That is, if you started at one edge that we can possibly see, and you go to the other edge, it would take light, 93 billion light years to get to the other side. But they also say that the world is only 14 billion years, the universe is only 14 billion years old. They're constantly changing the calculations. Now, if you had a really strong flashlight and you turned it on, that light, the fastest thing that can go in the universe is the speed of light. That, that ray of light in one year can travel six trillion miles. Now, what they're saying is, they're saying light travels one year at six trillion miles and the universe is 93 billion light years wide. You do the math. There just, they're just, they're just ain't no way that some atoms inside a, the size of a marble exploded to create the universe in a trillionth of a second. You can't do that without some supernatural help from God. And I can't believe this all happened without God. It's truly impossible. And so you have to be mentally blind and intellectually challenged to believe such a fairy tale that we got here without God. Then we got to ask him a question. One question. Where did the marble come from? Where did the gas come from that exploded in a trillionth of a second? Poof! And we are here. Where did it come from? Where did this accident without intelligence come from? And the answer is, I don't know. They got a PhD. They got a PhD. I was once a uh, monkey hanging from a tree, and now I'm a PhD. You know, and they just don't know. You get to choose. You get to choose the truth, or you get to choose a lie. You see, it takes faith to believe in how we got here. You get to choose a foolish faith, or you get to choose an intelligent faith. And for me, I choose to believe the truth. And so did David. One day, King David sat down, and he wrote this wonderful song of praise to God, and he, he tells us, look in your notes here on page two, he tells us about God's omniscience. God knows everything. He tells us about God's omnipresence. God is everywhere at once. He tells us about God's omnipotence. God is all-powerful. Uh, how does David respond to these wonderful truths about God? With obedience. David's obedience at the end of the psalm. So I'm to magnify Christ because... Because God knows me. And so let's back up now to verse 1 and look what he wrote, and we can truly say the same thing. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting, you know my uprising. You understand my thoughts afar off. Uh, thou compassed my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my mouth and my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I'm to magnify Christ because God knows me. Nobody knows me and you like God. He knows you better than you know yourself. And David understands that nothing is hid from God. We might as well be honest with God because it's pretty useless to lie to him. And so David says, I'm an open book to you, God. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. I'm never out of your sight. 
You control every circumstance of my life because you love me. You know me inside and out. Oh, this knowledge is so wonderful, I can barely take it in. I magnify Christ because God knows me. Secondly, I magnify Christ because God made me. Verse 13, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. He goes on to describe how God uh, fashioned us in the, our mother's womb. He continues in prayer, O God, you created me in my mother's womb. You chose every detail of my design. I was uniquely created for your glory. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You controlled every phase of my development from birth, from conception to birth. You sculpted every blood vessel, every cell, and you designed every bone in my body. You've already determined the days of my life on this earth. Oh God, I will praise you, for I am marvelous, marvelously made. You know, last summer, Reader's Digest did an article cover article called Your Amazing Body. And we've all heard these different things, amazing facts and statistics about our bodies. Uh, there's more bacteria in your mouth than in all the people of the world. That's why we tell our kids to brush your teeth in the morning, all right? Try and get some of that bacteria out of there. <laughs> That's a lot of bacteria. Uh, uh, we know things that, like, uh, there's 100,000 miles of blood vessels in an adult body. If uncoiled, the DNA and all the cells in your body would stretch 10 billion miles, I mean, from here to Pluto and back. An adult human being is made up of around seven, followed by 27 zeros of atoms. It's a lot of atoms. Our heart pumps 2,000 gallons of blood each day. And then this article explains uh, unique things that we all experience. We just don't know why it happens, but God does because he created it. It explains why we get goosebumps. Why we get goosebumps. There's a, there's a surge of adrenaline, and that can happen from a chill. That can happen from an emotion. And there's tiny little muscles that just puff up, and that's why we get goosebumps. Uh, why our knees crack after sitting for a long time. Uh, that is a release of gas that has built up uh, in our knees. Why your stomach growls when you're hungry. Well, that would be because you're a teenager, right? <laughs> uh, why, do you, why your stomach growls when you're hungry is because there's an absence of food in your stomach, and it sends an electrical signal, and that causes the stomach to contract and to release and that's the grumble that you hear. Why you shiver when you're cold. Your body is automatically creating heat. You have almost an entire new skeleton every 10 years. You blink about 20 times a, uh, a minute. Now, some of you might be blinking longer holding that blink in, so go ahead and open it up, right? <laughs> God's washing your eyes when, when that happens. And scientists now say you have a new organ. Did you know you have a new organ? Let me introduce it to you. It is the mesentery. Mesentery. How many of you knew you had a mesentery organ? Would you raise your hand? 
We got three, we got four, we only had two in the early service. Uh, um, a century, it's uh, 2017, it's official. It's been categorized as a brand new human organ that's been classified. You say, what in the world does the mesentery do? I, I had no idea until, uh, until I read this article. Well, the mesentery, what it does is it holds your colon in place and it stores fat. You say, oh, great. I don't need an organ like that. Uh, but there's the mesentery. You know, this is what David said. David said, he, he said, I'm going to magnify and praise God because he knows me, because uh, he made me. And then he says, because he loves me. Look at verse 17. This is really cool. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. David prays, Oh God, your beautiful thoughts to me are amazing. Your thoughts to me are precious. I'm overwhelmed and amazed at your love to me. This poetic language, if I should count them, count what? If I could count the good thoughts that God has towards me, they're more than the sand. So picture in your mind the longest beach you've ever seen. Picture in your mind the Sahara Desert. Picture in your mind all the sand that is on this globe. And that would come up to, I did a quick calculation, uh, it comes up to just about seven quintillion grains of sand. That is seven followed by 18 zeros. And that's how much God loves you. That's how many good thoughts, how many beautiful thoughts, how many lovely thoughts God has towards you. I'd say that he loves you pretty much, doesn't he? He really loves you. This is what David said. I'm thinking about this. So I want to magnify Christ because he knows me. He made me. Uh, he, he loves me with this everlasting love. But then he also says, God will judge me. God will judge me. David prays, uh, verse 23 and 24. Uh, look how he begins the psalm. Psalm 139, 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me. You've known me. Now verse 23. Now it's a prayer. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. <coughs> David prays, O God, Oh, God, I want you to search my heart. God, I want you to investigate me. God, I want you to show me everything that is an idol in my life that needs to be taken out. Show me what, what, what sin is there. Show me every sin. Show me every hindrance to my spiritual growth. Show me what keeps me from believing you and obeying you. Show me what holds me back from going to the next level in my spiritual growth. Try me, test me. Cleanse me, guide me on the road you want me to walk. What an honest and transparent prayer. What an honest and transparent prayer. So I ask you, how did you do in 2019? It will soon be over, Tuesday night, midnight. It will soon be over, one for the books, history, never to be repeated. God's books stored away for judgment day. 
and we all stand before one of two judgments. The one judgment's called the great white throne judgment found in Revelation chapter 20. If you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, if you've not been born again into the family of God, you will stand before the great white throne judgment. And the books of your deeds have been recorded for the judge of the universe to open the books. And this is what we read in Revelation 20. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. There is a book of life with everyone that goes to heaven, and then there are multiple books, a record-keeping of the deeds that everyone has done who is unsaved. And if you are not a Christian, if you are an unbeliever, you will give an account to the God who made you for every single sin you've committed this year, every sinful thought you've had, every sinful word you've said, every sinful attitude, and every sinful action. Now, you're not going to be judged for temptation. That's not a sin. But when you give in to the temptation, it is written down, and this great God of love is also a God of holiness. He's a God of justice. And even in his judgment, he will be praised. And if you stand at the great white throne judgment, you will, God will not give you more or less punishment than you deserve. He will make no mistakes in his judgment. His judgment will be perfect. But you do not have to stand at the great white throne judgment of God. You can be forgiven of all of your sins. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you can be born again into the family of God. You can be forgiven. You can be declared righteous, therefore being justified by faith, just as if I've never sinned. More than that, you can be declared righteous, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you won't stand before the great white throne judgment of God. But there is a second judgment for Christians. For believers, the judgment seat of Christ. And if you are a Christian, you too shall give an account, but not for the record of your sins, because every sin you've committed as a Christian, past, present, and future, judged to the cross. But may I say to you today that when you become a Christian, the, the, the clock begins to tick, the records begin to be kept. So if you're saved as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, as an older adult, when you, get, when you become a Christian, from that moment until the time you enter God's presence, it's all written down. There's a judgment seat of Christ, Romans 14, 12, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Give an account for what? I thought my sins were judged. Yes, they are. They're judged by Christ upon the cross. He paid the penalty. You're free. But you and I will give an account for our thoughts that we meditate upon, not the fleeting thought, the thoughts we meditate upon, the words that come out of our mouth, the actions that we commit, the service we render for Jesus Christ. Sin is judged at the cross, but everything else is judged for. And it's not a judgment for punishment. It's a judgment for reward. Have in your mind, have in your mind the Olympic winners where they stand on the bema seat the beam of platform, and they are rewarded. 
Our sin, of course, is the most useless thing that we can do. And so the sin we commit as Christians causes the loss of reward. It will be burned as wood, hay, and stubble. God cannot and will not reward you for sin in your life. We need to understand this. In his word, God motivates us, telling us again and again about this judgment seat of Christ, about these rewards. Some of these rewards are called crowns. We believe that we will follow the example of Revelation chapter 4. There are 24 elders, and they represent you and I, the New Testament church. And the Bible says that the 24 elders, they fall down in worship before the Lord Jesus Christ, and they take the crowns that God has given them at the judgment seat of Christ, and they take their crowns, and they lay them before the Lord Jesus Christ, and we say, thank you, God. Thank you, Christ. I love you. I honor you. He honors us with these rewards, and then we take them, and we give them to him to show him that we do love him and are thankful to him. Why? Because he gave us life, because he saved us, because he gave us the blessings to live in this world. And this is what they say. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Takes us right back to Genesis 1.1. Why did God make us? To give him honor and praise and glory. Psalm 139 teaches us to magnify Christ. It begins with God searching us, and then it ends with us asking God, to search us. In 1895, my great-grandfather bought a farm in a little area in Pennsylvania called Academia. Academia. Academia's pretty close to Port Royal. Port Royal's pretty close to Lewistown. It's pretty close to Harrisburg. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere at the foot of the Tuscarora Mountain. And my great-grandfather bought this farm, and, and it's amazing that every time you, you, uh, uh, you plant your crops, new rocks come to the surface. I don't know how that happens, uh, but every year they got to go through the field, they got to clean out the big rocks. And the best way to clear a field was for my great-grandfather to take my grandfather, my mom's dad, and for father and son to walk the field together, to pick up those rocks and remove them so they can plant the, 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 the seed and have a fruitful crop. And this is what's happening here in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. So you asked your father, father and son, father and daughter, and you go through your heart. You go through your life and you pull up the rocks, the idols, the sin, and you say, you know, I'm going to end 2019 with a heart right with God. I'm going to end 2019 with all of my sins confessed and my fellowship restored. I'm going to get those rocks out of my life. Search me, O oh God. Search me. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way. And Lord, get it out of my life. How have you been doing in 2019? Have you been building? Have you been adding rewards to the judgment day? How do we add rewards at the judgment seat of Christ? What do we do in building and growing? Uh, let me close with these thoughts. 
Building rewards for the judgment seat of Christ, first of all, build up your spiritual life. You need to do this. It's your responsibility. Build up your spiritual life. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Jude verse 20. And so I challenge you to commit to a Bible reading plan for 2020. If you've never read through your Bible, I'm talking to the teenagers all the way up, if you've never read through your Bible, I challenge you to sign your name right there. I will read through my Bible in 2020. If you've never done it, let 2020 be your year. And if you've already done that, maybe you want to do it again. If you've done it, maybe you want to begin a New Testament plan, a Psalm Proverbs study, an Old Testament study, but build up your spiritual life and you can't do it without the Bible. Secondly, build up your family. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And may that begin right in your own house with the people under your roof and with your last name. Build up your family. Build up your friends. Edify one another. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Build up your friends with your words and your prayers and your actions. Build up your church. Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18. Why in the world would you want to work against or tear down what Jesus Christ is at work building up? Build up your church. Build up your coworkers. The Bible says, honor all men. Build up your nation. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In just a few weeks, we will have the Sanctity of Life Human Sunday. I think all of us can take time to write one letter, to write one email, to make one phone call in the new year to the legislatures in Pennsylvania or those that represent us in Washington, D.C., and say, hey, hey, we are, we are for the heartbeat bill. We are pro-life. We are for the protection of the unborn. Because righteousness exalts a nation, sins a reproach to any people. That's what you can do. Now, as you look at the list, is there one or two areas that you need to make a determined, intentional effort to improve in 2020? Well, I sure do. In fact, for me, it's probably all six. Ask the Lord every morning to help you magnify Christ before your family, before your friends, before your coworkers, before your church family, and before unbelievers. And if you do, then you will have crowns to lay at Jesus' feet. May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this wonderful psalm and what it means to us as we consider you made the world, you made the universe, you made each one of us. You made us uniquely you designed us for your glory. But Father, it's so easy to think that we are here to please ourselves and we miss the purpose of our existence. So God, uh, uh, awake us out of our spiritual sleep. Arrest our attention. And may we say with David, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I will praise you with all of my heart. 
heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and you'd say, Pastor, if I die today, I know I would go to heaven. I have been saved. There was a time I gave my life to Christ. I'm not ashamed to be called a true and genuine follower of Christ. And right now, there is fruit in my life that is evidence that I'm a child of God. Would you simply raise your hand all of this congregation if that's you? God bless you. You may put your hands down. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I, I think I'd go to heaven. I hope I'd go to heaven. I've been baptized. I've been a church member. I was confirmed. I, I, I try and do good things. I try and help others. Do you know all the good things that you do will not wash away one sin? Only Jesus Christ can wash away your sins. Only being born again into the family of God can you can receive this free gift of God. You say, how do I receive this gift? For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you are trying to earn a ticket to heaven by good works, you'll never make it. Remember, childlike faith. Believe that Jesus died for you and rose again receive him as the gift of salvation. You say, how do I do that? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, how about you? Do you, do you? do you sense the Spirit of God tapping on your heart? Could you have the faith of a child as Sophie did, a first grader in the first service, prayed to receive Christ? You could do that right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you like to pray with me? If you sense the Spirit of God tugging at your heart, pray with me now. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. I believe he is the Son of God. I receive him as my Lord and Savior today. Please come into my heart and forgive my sin. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you just pray with me from your heart and you meant it, I'd like to pray for you today. I'll not call you out. I'll not embarrass you. I simply want to pray for you. Simply raise your hand, anyone at all. I just pray with you to ask the Lord to come into my heart and I meant it. Simply raise your hand for a moment. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Just hold your hand up for a moment. I pray to receive the Lord as my Savior, and I meant it from my heart. God bless you. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Christian, may I ask you, are you, are you willing to be honest and transparent as David and say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Show me my sin, forgive and cleanse my sin. Empower me to walk a new path, your path of love and grace and holiness and forgiveness. Help me to be a blessing to others by, by my serving them, I pray in Jesus' name. Please stand with me as I read from Psalm 34. It's a very special psalm to Jody and I, and I'll explain that to you why in a few minutes. Psalm 34, notice the headline introduction, Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. 
who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked upon him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. May we pray. Father, tonight we join with David in blessing you at all times, in the good times, in the hard times. Father, tonight I pray that our testimonies will show and demonstrate the mighty power of God in the big things and in the little things, how you are good to us all the time. And I pray that whatever comes our way in 2020, that you would help us to magnify you, to follow Jesus Christ, to be that testimony, pointing people to the Savior. If there be one that knows not Christ in this service tonight, speak to their hearts, draw them to yourself, strengthen each Christian, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I mentioned in the early service, uh, we are normally gone as a family. We're down in Virginia with my parents, uh, but this year, uh, with my dad in heaven, mom's up here with us, and so we're glad to have her for a couple of weeks, and so we're glad to be here, and being this last Sunday of the year, I thought it'd be a great time for you to share testimony, uh, and with the focus of magnifying Christ, again, that's what our, our theme with the telescope is all about, bringing something that's very far away, and, and that's big, and making it uh, evident for everyone to see, and uh, when you think about that, we think about the times of joy, like we shared this morning with with the Kunzies, but what about in the hard times? What about when things don't go your way? Well, we had me I'd mentioned that one in our church family had an incident in Norristown where uh, some men actually assaulted him and a robbery occurred. Uh, there's more to the story, and God continues to, to be magnified through Greg Berno. So Greg's going to come at this time. Uh, the rest of you don't have to come to the pulpit to share your testimony. Uh, we'll have some folks uh, may, uh, be able to grab some microphones here and, and have some ushers do that, take them to you. But uh, uh, Greg, we've been walking this through with him uh, through several different incidents, several different opportunities. And so I thought I'll give him some extra time. Come and uh, tell your story of how God has been with you through all of this. Thank you. Yes, I, uh, I, um, I feel truly blessed this evening I, because on Friday, November 22nd at 5.30 a.m., I was returning home from uh, going to the gym and doing a little grocery shopping. I'm an early riser, and I get up early, and I like to get things out of the way. So I came home and parked my car uh, across the street from my house and um, got out of the car, picked up my bags of groceries, and walked up to my front door, and suddenly, four men came up from behind me and mugged me. And I guess um, I was 
uh, bloodied, my jaw was swollen, and my wallet was missing. I went into my house and I called the police. Fortunately, they didn't take my keys. They smashed my phone, but it still worked. The police came quickly and they asked me to provide descriptions of the perpetrators and the direction they followed to make their escape. Then the first officer on the scene asked, what did they take from you? I replied, my wallet. He asked, what was in your wallet? At that moment, I struggled to remember the contents of my wallet, how much cash was in it, what credit cards were in it. Medics were examining me with bright lights, and the back and forth of the police two-way radio was very distracting. The officer could readily discern my difficulty. He told me that the detectives would call me later for more detail. I declined a, a trip to the hospital and went back into my house. As I washed my face, I thought about my wallet. What all was in it? There was something big inside it that made it difficult for me to fit it into my pocket. Then I remembered it was a tract, a Mitch Zajac tract nonetheless. Oh, praise God, I thought. Something good has come from this trial. Someone, perhaps even more than one, may read about the love of the Father, a love so great that he gave his only begotten Son so that all those who repent of their sins and call upon his name and believe upon him will have a pl an eternal place in heaven with him. At that moment, I actually felt grateful that I'd been mugged. <laughs> to paraphrase Galileo, I give infinite thanks to God who has been pleased to make me a conveyor of marvelous things to those who need to see them. Some 36 hours later on Saturday evening, I heard a knock at my door. I entered, it was the Norristown Police Department. They wanted me to come to the station house and give a statement to the detective in charge of the case. Will you come now, he asked. I said, sure. Try to remember whatever you can, he said as we drove. The more you remember, the better our case will be. Then he asked, how do you feel? And I said, I feel grateful. And uh, he said, well, that's strange. Why? You've just been beat up. Your wallet's been stolen. Why do you feel grateful? And I said, well, I believe God is doing something wonderful with this. And then suddenly the radio in his car started to, to, to blare and he said, I'm sorry, I have to let you out here. The police station's only two blocks up. I have to proceed to a crime scene. I said, okay. So I thought, well, I'll just walk up to the police station. So I walked up to the police station, went in and I asked to see the detective in charge and he came out and took me back to his office. And he sat me down in a chair and he said, um, I want you to remember everything you can about this and uh, regarding descriptions of the perpetrators and what transpired at the crime scene. My memory was tried and tested. 
Finally, we were through with a, with a deposition, and he said, all you have to do is sign. Let me just print this out for you, and you can sign it. I said, okay. And he printed the document, and I, I looked up, and I noticed something on the wall opposite his desk. It was an artistic depiction of the Archangel Michael with the words on it that read, Michael, protect us. And suddenly I thought, this is an opportunity. And when the officer came back to his desk with the statement, I said, sir, thank you and your colleagues on the police force for serving to protect us. But if something were to happen to you, do you know the way to, he do you know the way to heaven from Norristown, Pennsylvania? And he looked at me and said, what do you mean by that? And I pulled out a tract and I presented the gospel to him. So again, I, it seems ironic, but I'm, I'm grateful that I was mugged. A few days later, the police called again and said, well, we've recovered your wallet. You can come down and get it at your convenience. I said, okay. So I went down to the station house, and they had this eight and a half by 11 envelope with what was left of my wallet and all the stuff that was in it. And I opened it up, and amazingly, everything was in it, everything. Driver's license, all the credit cards, uh, my grocery list from 1978. <laughs> my, uh, now, the cash was missing. Uh, some postage stamps were missing. And there was one more thing that was missing. The tract. Amen. So, I don't know, I don't know everything that's, that he's doing with this, but he's doing something wonderful. So, now note well, I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to go out and get mugged. <laughs> but, uh, he can do wonderful things with, with uh, trials and tribulations. Thank you. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Greg. Yep, we can thank him. One of the great commentators of 100 years ago, I might have been G. Campbell Morgan, when he was mugged, he said, I'm thankful. I'm thankful they took my wallet, but they didn't take my life. And Greg gives good testimony of having taking the opportunity to be able to share Jesus Christ, to magnify Christ even in a time of trial. And so we'll give you that opportunity. There is a microphone set up there in the balcony. You can just come to it if you have a brief testimony to share. And again, the focus uh, is just to be able to talk about how God gave you an opportunity to magnify Christ. Our men are going to bring a microphone to you. So if you would just stand up, uh, just face the larger part of the congregation. If you would, hold the microphone close to your mouth so we can hear you. Give us your name, and then you can give brief testimony. We'll start right back here. And then the next person, go ahead and stand up so we'll be ready for the next person. Uh, my name is Robert Mazzaferro, and um, if you were here a couple weeks, or about four weeks ago, you couldn't get through 113 because I had a car wreck, and there's a, there's a little nursing uh, home or uh, rehab place right near there. There's a brick wall that's been knocked over. That was my front fender hit that side as the 
guy ran into me and took out my whole left side and um, knocked out my window. It came in on me. The glass hit me in the face. I had one little cut right here, right along my nose. Um, but uh, he totaled my car, and uh, nobody was hurt. And um, I thought, you know, do I have a track on me to give this guy? And sure enough, I had my track on me and handed it to him. And, and you just don't never know what that track will do. Uh, the police told me he didn't have any insurance, and there was a warrant out for his arrest. So he'll have plenty of time to read it. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're in a church family where people take a difficult thing happening to them and they turn it around and shine the light of God to others? Mm -hmm. Up here in the balcony. Hi, my name is Denise Baker. Um, what, what was that? I thought it was Denise Kuiper. <laughs> Denise Baker. Let's congratulate them as a married couple. So eight weeks ago, God blessed me with a wonderful husband, four additional kids, which makes our blended family a family of eight. Two short weeks later, as many of you know, my husband became critically ill. And I'm just standing here today to testify of God's goodness, God's love, God's grace, from the 911 call to the EMT workers, just if you could only know every single one of God's blessings and how his hand was upon so many different aspects of the whole trial. Um, just, I think of, I'm not one with any siblings, I'm an only child, and God just brings so many sisters in Christ that walked beside me through that whole trial in the ICU, in the waiting room, with meals. Um, there's just so many. Uh, Pastor driving through the night from Maryland to be with me, and Anthony, Pastor Joyner, and Jody, and Peggy. I mean, I could go on and on for the visits from the, from the church members, for, through all the text messages, emails, phone calls. If I still didn't get back to you, I did get it. <laughs> um, but just, um, just all of God's goodness and grace. And I really want to just specify one thing. I asked for a prayer about the fever and about the platelets, and the nurse was just amazed, and she said that platelets do not go up on their own. And she knew that I put that request out on Facebook the night before, and just what a testimony of God's miracles for his platelets to double that next day. Um, it was just amazing, and just for all of the love and care from everyone, and my husband's still here. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, I'm Anthony Baker, um, and I'm, uh, I, I think of the verse, the, the, effectual, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much, James 5.16, part B. And, and I am just so thankful to God for, for this church caring so much to, to pray and to reach out to others to pray and to reach out to others to pray. I, I've heard from, from church members um, family members that went to their church and, and just just continually went out to pray. And I'm just so grateful to God for, for all of you for those prayers. I'm grateful to God and praise God for, for the healing that he provided. Um, I'm, I'm just thankful to God as well for, for our pastors. I, I just 
we met with Pastor um, during the summertime, Pastor and Jody, uh, to talk about blending families. And one of the questions I asked was just how, how do you handle all these situations? And then I was in one of these situations, mm. and he was there, and Jody was there till, from what I understand, 1.30 at night, and just like after driving for, for four hours to get there. And I'm just, I, I just can't tell you how blessed I am. To, to be part of this family of, of believers, and, and I'm thankful. Amen. And I'm thankful for, for, for Denise, and I'm thankful for my, my kids and my family, and just, just praise God that, that I could be here. <laughs> and somewhat, it's still surreal to me that this was me that went through all of this, but yeah. thank you, everyone. Amen, amen. We rejoice when Denise says that he was critical. He was in the valley of the shadow of death. And uh, God raised him up and healed him. So now he joins, at least in the Valley Forge Baptist Miracle Man Club with Brother Davis, Brother Nicolay, and now uh, Anthony Baker. It truly was a miracle of God. And we're rejoicing that as a church family, we can rally together, magnify Christ in that time. Who would like to be next? Right over here, behind you, Matt. My testimony, I'm Jim Braceland. My testimony is nowhere near that dramatic. As a matter of fact, it's the other end of the spectrum. You know, I hear the world say that God doesn't care about the details of our lives and we shouldn't pray about every little thing. But I believe God does care about the details in our lives. And mm -hmm. um, Terry and I had gone to, well, I had gone to the knee doctor uh, back in April and, and determined that I needed to have double knee replacement. The only time the doctor could do it was July 24th which we had scheduled a meeting in North Carolina at the Sword of the Lord Conference. We had a booth for Silent Word Ministries, and so um, we quickly decided that Terry would man the booth, uh, which I'm grateful for Rebecca Pritchard with her, uh, so she wasn't alone, but they would man the booth, and Stephen Burns and I would come back home, and I would have the knee replacement on, on that Wednesday. And um, Ray Clifford, my good buddy, picked me up at 4.30 in the morning, drove me over to Phoenixville Hospital, opened the door and kicked me out. <laughs> you gotta love friends like that. But anyway, I remember going in and uh, going through the, the registration process and up to the pre-op room. And I was uh, feeling just a little bit um, forlorn because Terry wasn't with me and she's always with me. And uh, I was there kind of by myself. And, and so I just said to the Lord, you know, I'm not nervous, but I, I really appreciate you letting me know you're close by. And uh, the anesthesiologist came in, and he explained what he was going to do. And, and about that time, the knee doctor came in. Uh, Dr. Schaff was my doctor. He came around the corner, and he said, uh, here's what we're going to do, which knee's worse. And he went through all that stuff. And he said, do you have any questions for me? I said, just two. Uh, number one, did you sleep good last night? I think that's a pretty good question. And then secondly, I said, could I pray with you before the surgery? And he said, uh, sure, like right now? I said, yeah, right now works for me. So he, he was standing at my, right at my knee. The anesthesiologist came around from my, my feet and came up and put his hand on my shoulder. Amen. And I began to pray for them to have skill and so on and so forth. And when I finished praying, the anesthesiologist began to pray for me. Amen. And he was a brother in Christ. Amen. And I just, you know what, for me it was like God put a guy in the room with me who is my brother in Christ, and he's going to watch out for me. 
And it was just such a blessing. It was a small thing, as the world might look at it, but uh, it was a really big thing for me. And I, I praise God for the way he sees the details and takes care of the little things. Amen. Amen. A couple years ago, Brother Brayson was hunting and had an accident at a tree stand and fell and broke some, cracked some ribs. So he, he doesn't qualify for the Miracle Man Club, but almost, <laughs> but almost. Yes, God protected him there. Okay, someone else. Yep, balcony. Hello, my name is Josh Melcher, and uh, I just have a quick testimony from earlier on uh, in my uh, college semester. I'm an RA at Cairn University. I'm a sophomore, and uh, looking back on the position now, uh, the position of RA, that's, that just means I'm a resident assistant. Um, I'm in charge of a hall of guys. And uh, looking back, I realized how naive I was going into that position, just with all the different challenges that are presented um, to an RA. But, but looking back on it, um, there's one thing that sticks out to me that makes uh, this whole experience worthwhile. Um, earlier this semester, um, I had the privilege of meet, meeting a whole bunch of new guys. And, and this year at, at Cairn, there was about, I think it was 250 freshmen. So it was the biggest class that we've ever had there. And uh, I, I just, going to a Christian college, I just kind of have the assumption that, like, everyone there is, uh, you know, either knows about God or, or even goes so far as to assume that they're saved, and, and that's not the case. Um, when, uh, early in the semester, we have this trip every year to Philadelphia where we uh, take all the freshmen into Philly and just let, let, let them get to know the area a little bit. And at, this was at the end of uh, the 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 freshman orientation. So I'm, I'm pretty exhausted as an RA at this point. You know, like I help everyone move in and, and get to know all these different people. So I'm pretty exhausted coming back from this trip to Philadelphia. So on the train ride back, I, I just kind of want to uh, take, take a breath and just kind of sit by myself and kind of sleep on the way back. Um, so I kind of found my own spot on the train and I was kind of hoping that no one would sit next to me and just kind of so I can sleep and, and you know, get some rest. But um, one freshman actually came and sat, ne uh, sat next to me, asked me if the seat was taken. I said, no, uh, go ahead and sit down. His name was Frankie. And uh, I got, to, I, you know, we, we had made small talk and I got to know Frankie a little bit, but then I kind of just wanted to, you know, get my rest. But something inside me just like prompted me to just keep talking to Frankie and get to know him a little bit more. So I did that and I, I got to know him a little bit. And here I find out he comes from a pretty rough home and, and he's not a Christian and he's not saved. And I don't know why he chose, well, I know why he chose Karen now, but at the time I didn't know why he chose a Christian college in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. And uh, so I got to talking to Frankie and I wound up on that train ride home, I, I got to just share my testimony and share the gospel with him for an hour. Amen. And at the train ride, after the train ride, he, he understood the gospel and he said that he wanted to get saved. So Amen. It, was, it, was a, Amen. it was a really cool opportunity. And uh, I praise the Lord that being an RA led to this uh, opportunity. So it was awesome. Glory to God. Amen. When we are weary and tired, God still can use us as weak vessels to show his strength and glory. Okay, anyone else have testimony? Microphone down front here, Matt. Yeah, I'm Brian Maloney, and um, I've taken this opportunity to thank Ray Clifford and his class. Um, 
as you know, we do the bubble festivals, and we're going to have two of them here before Easter. But uh, it's it's a lot of uh, preparation work before the event. I usually show up in a town by myself with all the junk in my car um, to do the bubble festivals, and then I have a local church there that works with me. So I spend the winter setting up these local churches to do what you do here at all the other locations, and then the pastors pick up those responsibilities. But I was uh, <laughs> at my most desperate before the ice cream festival down at the city of Wilmington. Uh, I've done it, my third year was coming up, and um, I have three events with the, the Newcastle County down there each year. And it got to a point where I was just desperate because the church that was working with me before couldn't do that weekend. I forget if they couldn't do it or what. But the, anyway, I was uh, left adrift with no volunteers. And I was expecting somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people to show up mm. for that ice cream festival of which the bubbles are the most exciting thing for all the families there, the little kids. So I called on Pastor Ailstock. He referred me over to uh, Ray Clifford again, and uh, he brought, uh, went out of the, just out of his way to support that event. He was more thrilled than I was about it, and he brought about six, uh, seven of the class members down there, and they just, we just did a, a gangbuster job down there, really uh, um, gave out a lot of tracks. And by the way, if you don't know it, when you go to a bubble festival, you can't have a wand or a tri-string to make bubbles unless you first see the people under the canopy and get a tract. And then the, and the local church presents the, my track, with, inside it is their schedule or their information, and we give it out, and then they get a wand or a, uh, or a tri-string to bubble with. And uh, to date, we were, we're on about 22,000 tracks having been distributed. Amen. In Amen. three years. Amen. Glory so to thanks God. thanks to everybody. Uh, just so you know how that all started, Brian had his grandson to the park, and he blew some bubbles, and other kids started coming. I thought, well, if I blow bigger bubbles, more kids will come. And so from that, we met together, and he said, how can I use this for God? I said, so let's write a track. 22,000 tracks have gone out with the gospel. So praise the Lord for that, not just here, but uh, in, the, in the Northeast. Someone else, right back here, Karen. Thank you. I'm just thankful so much for the church and for everything that they do and that my brother Raymond and my son Levi have been through a lot and they came out of it and they're with Jesus now. Amen. Amen. Up here in the balcony, our missionary. Hey, good evening, everybody. It's good to be home. <clears throat> well, home here. <laughs> and thank you all for your wishes and your prayers for the, through this last year. So through the last years. Um, this time last year was a was the beginning of a really difficult season for Joanna and I. We had a big uh, year planned ahead. Pastor and Jody were coming in the early spring. We had two groups coming, um, uh, one from Arkansas. Pastor Elstock's, uh, Mike Elstock's church was coming in June. We had a BIMI conference planned to come through Athens. Just all these things going on, and we were probably at our lowest point since we had been on the field. Um, the home church that we had hoped to start just didn't catch 
And uh, some of you probably know some of this. You keep up with our prayer letters. But I just wanted to just praise God for how faithful he is. Joanne and I, we were just at the point where we really felt like maybe the Lord was closing the doors for us to, to leave Greece. It was difficult. The, the church wasn't going the way we had hoped in the home. Uh, our boys were not happy with homeschooling. We moved to a city of over 4 million people, and they were lonelier than ever. Um, just because you live around a lot of people doesn't mean that there's a lot of friends. There's a lot of opportunities to make friends. Uh, it, it's a difficult place. It's a hard place. Uh, they were going to school at home. They were going to church at home. There wasn't a lot of kids around, and it was really hard on them. But uh, just about uh, about a month uh, into January or so, a few weeks into excuse me, into January, it had got, just got really low. Joanne and I were both sick. It was our anniversary. Things just, we said, you know, I said, let's turn the phones off. We're just going to fast and pray. And we just took a couple of days. And within, a, within those couple of days, God just started to, to lead us out of the woods. And then mm -hmm. when Pastor and Jody came, uh, we were looking for a new house again. Uh, <laughs> but they were with us. They helped us find our new house. Then I said, hey, you know, I've been, uh, this church came from Arkansas, helped us letterbox. We weren't sure where to go as far as a building went. And Pastor and Jody came, and Joanna and I, we were looking for places. And praise God, we, we got that place. And still a rough go with getting paperwork. We're still waiting on our bank account, but the, the, the nonprofit group, the company that we started, is in place. We have it written up as a church, uh, basically a church constitution. We started uh, Christian which means Hope Christian Center. It opened in October. Amen. Um, God has met every need, and some days we don't have a lot of people except Joanna and John and I, uh, but other days we, we, we've had a high of 14 people, Amen. Uh, but we're only two months in, and we're going to hold the course. Uh, my friend George Demacos, who's there, has been a good brother to, to, and his family, always there for us, helping us. He, he's five years before he really got any traction with anybody. He said, don't, don't give up, Michael. Don't give up. Don't give up. Amen. Don't change. And we're not going to give up. We're not going to change. Maybe the Lord will come back first, but he answered my prayer. I prayed years ago, Lord, at least let me get to, to the field and start a church. And he's there. God, thank you all for praying. Thank you for uh, the blessing of, uh, of Christmas here uh, at Valley Forge with y'all. Thank you, Pastor and Jody Amen. especially, too. God bless you. Let's continue to pray for Michael and Joanne and the kids uh, serving there in Athens, Greece. We rejoice for God's hand upon them and the witness. Uh, they, they have a, uh, participating with Pastor Demakos in reaching Iranian refugees in Athens. God has saved hundreds these last few years to be part of so many different ministries that they have there. Okay, anyone else? Or we'll go to the scriptures tonight. Yes, ma'am. I wasn't going to talk because you said keep it quick. <laughs> <laughs> keep it quick, that's right. Okay. <laughs> oh, who know. are you? Tell us, Claire, who you are. Okay, Claire Wismer. Um, Many months, I can't tell you exactly when, but many, many months after Ray passed away, I was sitting at home, and I was so frustrated and so lonely, and I said, Lord, I need purpose again. Mm -hmm. I really felt like I didn't have purpose. So I said, please, give, give me something. Give me purpose again. Because Ray and I did everything together. We served together. Now, everything I'm going to tell you was within two weeks. Um, I loved to walk and hike, and I wasn't able to do that without Ray. But then there came a day, so I'm going to do it. So the man across the street, the couple told me, close by, right across the road, there was a, a path through the woods. And it was long, and a man owned all these acres, and he let them walk it. And I said, well, I, I want to ask him permission 
So I finally found him and asked permission. He was telling me that he lost his wife four years ago. And he told me something that happened the day before she died that was very similar to Ray. And I remember what somebody said to me, and I passed it on to him. And he, you could just tell he was so grateful. It made him feel better. So I said, thank you, Lord. You know, thank Amen. you. But then a couple days later, I was walking on that road, and his daughter lives on the property in another house. I had never met her. All of a sudden, she shows up on the path. Now, this is isolated. And I said hi to her, and we were talking, and I was telling her a little bit about my situation. And she had just, her husband had just told her that he wanted to leave her just then. What were the chances of me running into her just then? So I got to talk to her and ask her if I could pray for her, and she was so grateful. So she said, I need to talk to my dad because it just happened. I need to tell him. So then she went on her way. I met her a couple days later, and she said she just found out she had cancer, but her mm. husband wanted to work out their marriage. So again, I told her I would pray for her. So we ended up with a little bit of a friendship there. A couple days later, I get a call from the neighbor down the road, and she just lost her sweetheart and wanted to talk to me. So I went down and talked to her, mm. and she called a number of times the next couple weeks. I said, thank you, Lord. The people across the street started having me over for dinner and asked me to take their little boy off the bus if I would do that a couple days a week. I said, thank you, Lord. Walking around the the you there where I live and a lady stopped a few days later and I got to meet her and she had lost her husband and she said I need someone to walk with and talk to mm -hmm. and then I got a call from a lady I watched her child 40 years ago I think well, I don't know exactly but a long time ago haven't had contact with her since she came to the ladies group here the widows group now I don't go to that but she heard my name and she called me and said, I am so lonely and I could use some encouragement. Would you go to lunch for me? And we met a number of times. And there were just one thing Amen. after another after for two weeks. That's all these things were. So finally I said, Lord, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. I, mean, I, 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 I didn't have a second to myself. <laughs> so I said, thank you, Lord, so much. And I was telling my son, he says, I said, my cup is really running over with Amen. blessings. And he said, Mom, be careful what you pray for. Amen. So, yeah, God is good. Amen. God is so what a testimony. good. <laughs> Amen. You know, God has a prescription for discouragement. I wish doctors would use it. Just take their, their pad and their pen and write one word, and that would be the word others. Others. And that discouragement will go away. Well, wonderful testimonies. Thank you for blessing my heart tonight. Uh, that was tremendous. Anyone else? Last chance? Okay. Okay. Psalm 34 this evening. Uh, just a few moments together. Uh, as we mentioned this morning, our theme is, is magnify Christ and a telescope. Uh, what does it do? It makes big things that are very far away look as big as they really are. And nothing is bigger or grander or more awesome in the universe than God. In our solar system, the sun is the center of our existence. Can you imagine one second without our sun and every living thing freezes instantly and dies? We need the sun to stay alive. And so spiritually, we need the Son of God to stay alive. 
But young David gave praise to God here in Psalm 34 after going through several near-death experiences. David went from being on top of the world in the book of 1 Samuel uh, to the lowest point in his life. As a young man, I mean, everything is going his way. He was a heroic soldier in battle. He had a beautiful bride, Michael, which made him the king's son-in-law. I mean, he is banqueting in the palace with royalty and the king. As a teenager, he had been anointed by Samuel to be the future king. His best friend Jonathan was not only the king's son, but supported David to be the next king. Yes, everything is going his way. But most of all, David was in the center of God's will. There is no known sin in his life. He is seeking God with his whole heart. He is writing psalms. He is writing scriptures. And what happened next didn't make any sense. It was out of David's control. His father-in-law, the king, King Saul, suddenly became jealous and hated David. And twice Saul threw a javelin at the seat where David sat at dinner. Saul sent his most trusted soldiers to arrest and kill David, but he escaped in the night. Then Saul sent out his soldiers to find him and to kill him. And it was during this desperate time, fleeing for his life, uh, David went to Gath, the city of Gath. Not such a smart move. It was no more than 10 years since he had killed Goliath, and it wasn't long before some people in the city of Gath recognized David. Uh, maybe it was all those old wanted posters at the post office with the drawing of David's face, and they said, this is the guy. And they brought David to the king, king of Gath Abimelech. Now look back with me at this introduction of the psalm, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove, drove him away and departed. You see, the king could have had him put to death right in the spot. David changed his behavior. He pretended and feigned insanity and the king dismissed him and he escaped. He departed. He departed where? Where did he go? Anybody remember? A cave. What was the name of the cave? Adullam. And it was there David renewed his relationship with God. Oh, he was a, a believer all along, but like all of us, we can begin to think wrong thoughts about God when trials come, when hard times come. Now, you've heard testimony of people going through hard times and give praise to God. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes we begin to think in our heart, God doesn't care about me, or God doesn't care if I do this. I did it last week, and God didn't spank me. God didn't judge me. Oh, God gave me these desires. He wants me to be happy. They're not sinful. God is so gracious and kind. These little sins don't bother him. I know God says don't lie, but my, but, but my parents or teachers, they'll give me all kinds of grief if they know the truth. If I sin today, I'll just ask God to forgive me tomorrow. He won't mind. I, I know he told me to trust him, but I just got to do what I got to do. We begin to think wrong thoughts about God. And David did that for a short while. And things only got worse in his life. So now we find David in a cave. How about you? Have you had your cave experience? More than once? 
we all prefer to live out in the sunshine of God's grace and blessings. But from time to time, we get in the cave instead. And cave time is a required class in the school of spiritual maturity. You call it whatever you want. Call it the pit, call it prison, call it the desert, call it the wilderness. But the cave is basic training for believers. The trials, the hard times. Joseph had a prison. Moses had a desert. Jeremiah had a pit. Daniel had a den. Paul was in and out of jail so many times, like Motel 6, they just kept the light on for him, all right? <laughs> From town to town, just back in jail. Even Jesus had a wilderness. Oh, he got a cave too, didn't he? He once spent three days in one. If Jesus had cave time, then cave time is not optional for you and I. Every Christian gets the cave. What is the cave? The cave is a place of death. It's where you die to self and selfishness. The cave is a place of testing. The cave is where your maturity gets revealed. Your heart gets exposed. I mean, you put a person in the cave of distress, put a person in the cave of discouragement or doubt, and the true character will show up. And if you're brave enough to open up to the truth about yourself, the cave will just reveal just how much work God still has to, to get you ready for great things. Deuteronomy 8.3, they were in the wilderness. It was hot in the day. It was cold at night to prove them, to show them what was in their heart, to show them they needed God. The cave is also a place of separation. Not only does God reveal the true you in the cave, he also strips you from all those inappropriate and wrong dependencies. In the cave, God separated David from everything he had once depended upon. And all that was left was God himself. And that was enough. The cave was perhaps the most difficult period in David's life. But in hindsight, it turned out to be the most fruitful. That's because the cave, it's also a place of molding. The cave is where God breaks you down in order to build you up. And that's what God does in the cave. By the way, God does some of his best work in caves. It was there in the cave of Adullam that David wrote three of his most moving psalms. Psalm 34, Psalm 57, Psalm 142 including our key verse, and you see it in verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. If you're in a cave, and you're complaining, and you're complaining to everyone, but not talking to God, you're missing a great opportunity to pour your heart out to the only one who can really do something about it. Good things happen in the cave when you get honest with God. We just heard testimony of that. So try talking to him. Be patient. God does great work when you're in the cave. If you doubt that, just remember the empty cave we now call the garden tomb. For three days it held a crucified body. But God does his greatest work in caves, including the best, which is resurrection. And so God brought about 400 people to David in the cave once he turned to the Lord. 
Now, these 400 people were in distress. Uh, they were in debt, and they were discontent. Not a happy bunch. But once David got his heart right with God, now look at verse 6. Verse 6, This poor man cried in the cave, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Now listen to how he impacted others for the Lord. We back up to verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So now there, there's the group is coming with him. I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Look at what a good friend does. Verse 11. Come, come ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's what a good friend does. A good friend is always going to point you back to the Lord, back to Jesus Christ. In the fall of 1995, I was in a cave, a spiritual cave. I was a struggling single dad and had been for a couple of years since my wife passed away. We were in double services in the first auditorium. We were in a building program. In fact, the building program was for this building. There were the township pressures. There were the pressures dealing with the architect and the builder. There were the financial pressures. Uh, the year after I was widowed, I had officiated seven weddings. Then came a slew of funerals. Uh, do, you know what it, do you know what it feels like to be at a, a couple's sweetheart retreat and everybody's married but you? Uh, Stephen Burns knows that experience as a single guy running the sound system. But I had been married, and now I wasn't. Once a month, Susan Elstock and Margaret Abbey, our associate pastor's wives, they came over while I was at the office, and they cooked 15 entrees, and they would freeze them. And they put a little sheet of paper on the refrigerator with instructions on what I was supposed to do uh, to feed myself and the kids. All I had to do was thaw and cook. It was the thaw part that I kept failing <laughs> on. I knew I was a bad cook when one Sunday afternoon after church, we're sitting there, Matthew and Jeremy and myself, and Matthew looked at me with just an entree on his plate that had been frozen for two weeks. And he said, Dad, do you think we should eat some vegetables? <laughs> you know you're a bad cook when your elementary son is asking for vegetables. <laughs> I quickly microwaved some green beans, added some salt and butter. It didn't taste too bad. You know, it's in the cave. It's in the cave that God does his best work in our hearts. Uh, next month, I'll tell you about that surrender he did in my heart. Uh, but he brought me out of that cave of loneliness and heartache you see, it was 24 years ago this week I went to Canada for the first time. Christmas was on Monday of that year. And on Tuesday, my parents took the boys to Virginia and I flew to Canada to meet Jody for the first time. That Sunday I announced the boys and I are going out of town. I didn't tell you that we were going to two different towns, all right? <laughs> they went south, and I went north. 
after spending three days together with Jody and her family, I was smitten. In December, on December 29th, this is the 29th, December 29th, 1995, I flew back home with a smile on my face. And even though it was winter, the sunlight of God was shining in my soul. And so then we had that Sunday uh, service, was New Year's Eve, and the Davises had a bunch of people over after church, and I showed Dave Davis this picture of Jody in the, we were in the old foyer there, and uh, she was there in front of the uh, Christmas tree at, at her house in their basement. I pulled this picture out, and I said to Brother Davis, I said, do you want to see a picture of the girl I'm going to marry? And he took one look at the picture, and he said, nice Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know there was a Christmas tree in the picture. <laughs> I only had eyes for the girl in the picture. Now let me tell you how Psalm 34, verse 3, became our verse. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. We were single and serving God. And we determined that it was God's will that we could serve God better together. Let us exalt his name together. And so that theme verse, we had it up there that was behind us at the reception, and we used it again at the reception down here in the next slide. Uh, here is a cake. I think Jackie had made this one. And it has Psalm 34, 3 on it. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's all we want to do is just exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to be able to do it together. Yes, you can exalt the Lord alone and you should every day. But oh, it is so much more fun. It is so much more joyous when you do it with like-minded believers, aren't you glad you came tonight? Aren't you glad you came this morning to hear how God used the Kunzis? Aren't you glad how, to be able to hear these testimonies tonight? Our lives are fuller and richer and deeper for what we have shared together tonight. Now, Jody and I, uh, we don't see eye to eye on everything. We were brought up in completely different homes, completely different countries. But this is the desire of our heart. This is a bond that we have that supersedes our differences, that supersedes our preferences, that supersedes uh, something that would create a conflict between us, and that is to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, to exalt his name together. And so, for these last 24 years, this is our desire. You might say, well, that's just not happening to me yet. I'm still in the cave what do I do? Verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me he, and he delivered me from all of my fears. I don't know how long God will let you be in the cave. I don't. I don't know how many more caves you're going to be in even for Jody and I. But if you seek God in your cave... He will deliver you according to his will. I've been in several more caves 
over these last two decades, even after God brought us together. Uh, we were married in June. We went on a honeymoon, left on Father's Day that year. We got back, and, and uh, we moved into this auditorium in November. I think it was middle of November 1996. And so we'd been married, been married about five months. And you know that uh, on our honeymoon, unbeknownst to me, one of Jody's lymph nodes swelled. And it didn't go back down. And so now you, you, you kind of wait for it, and she didn't even tell me. And so several months go by, and we see the doctor, and he said it, it has to come out. Now you have to understand what I had been through back in 1992 when my first wife had 30 lymph nodes cut out of her neck and five of them were swollen and those five were cancerous and that cancer spread to the rest of her body. And so the Sunday, the Sunday that we moved into this building and we rejoiced together, that Sunday was before, right before the Tuesday. We went in to a local medical office and a surgeon cut out that lymph node and had it examined, still swollen for five months, non-cancerous, non-cancerous. We praise God, whether you're in the mountain, you praise God, whether you're in the valley. Now, if you're here tonight and you're, you're not saved, you're not sure that heaven's your home, we, we invite you tonight to make the most important decision of your life to give your heart, to give your life to Jesus Christ, to believe that he's the son of God, to believe that he's the savior, to believe that you can't get to heaven by doing sacraments or works like baptism or church membership or giving gifts of money or charitable contributions. That won't get you to heaven. Only Christ can wash away your sins and you can receive him tonight. For the invitation tonight, I want to, I want to play a song that God used to help bring my heart out of the cave. See, this was back before internet was popular, and we did something, we rewrote letters. You know, you get out a piece of paper and a pen, and you write a letter, and today's called snail mail. And to get to Canada, it takes five days for a letter to get there, and five days for one to get back, and they don't deliver on Saturday. And, and, uh, but when we first began writing, uh, Jody sent me a cassette tape. That cassette tape... We'll explain to you later what that is. Uh, but that cassette tape is, is uh, it was a trio tape from Faithway Baptist College of Canada. Jody had actually been on a singing tour, and they made this uh, cassette tape, and she sent it to me, and she was singing on it. And, and the very first song on that cassette is Psalm 34 and verse 3. Now, as I listened to those voices, I, I didn't know what she sounded like. We wrote for three months, and so we didn't talk on the phone, uh, no FaceTime. It hadn't been invented yet, and so we just wrote letters, but I had this cassette, and I kept listening. I wonder, what, what voice is hers? What voice is hers? And so we had written, and I'll tell you more about that next month, but, but basically, uh, the first phone call that I made, I talked to her dad a second time, and he asked if I would like to speak to Jody and, and uh, 
I said, yeah. Well, first he said, do you think this is God's will? And I said, absolutely, this is God's will. So <laughs> I, can, I can discern those things. You just come to me now, I can tell you what God's will is. So, so uh, he put her in the phone, and uh, she said, with more of a Canadian accent back then than she has now, she said, hello, Scott. And my heart went, <laughs> She's the one. You can tell by her voice. She loves God. And, and uh, so, um, so we have a sign now in our bedroom that says, you had me at hello, <laughs> literally. And so I got to hear her voice, and in time I've got to hear her sing, and now I know her voice on that. It's now a CD on that song. And I just got to tell you, another great benefit to me for our lead ensemble is I get to hear Jody's singing voice every other Sunday. Sometimes she sings the melody, sometimes she sings her part, but our lead ensemble has added so much to our services. It has filled the auditorium, and you get to sing your part. Uh, Matt, as he leads singing, uh, sometimes if he takes a breath and they're singing along, and it's so special to all of us, but it's more special to me because I recognize her voice and what it, what it says to me is I'm standing, sitting there in the front row singing and she's up here singing and I can't help but think of this verse. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And that's what we get to do. And so tonight, I'm just going to ask you to remain seated. And it's an old recording, so the quality is, is it, it reflects that. But the song is entitled, Exalt His Name Together. Think about the words. Think about the scripture. Think about your life. And whether you're married or you're single, whether you're young or older, God gave us a church family. And together, we can exalt the Lord. So let this be our invitation hymn tonight. Forever 
Bye. 